it's time for the Catalyst Midweek Podcast, where we continue the conversation from this past week's message. What's going on, everybody? This is the Catalyst Midweek Podcast, where we continue the conversation from this past week's sermon. My name is John Kelly. I'm the Discipleship Minister here at Catalyst Christian Church. And with me today, as always, is the illustrious man of great knowledge and style, Mr. Rob Harlemert, our youth minister. How are you doing, Rob? Doing just fine. Thank you once again for that interesting introduction. Well, i just like to make sure that people understand the magnitude of having you on this show. Wonderful. So uh, this past week, we uh, continued our 40 Days of Faith journey, and we talked about the idea that faith that costs us nothing is worth nothing, Uh, the, the actual title of the sermon being Faith in the Face of a Huge Cost. Um... And just right off the bat, what are, what are some initial thoughts from this past week's message and the theme and just kind of where we were going with things? I, I love this whole series because it seems like uh, he was planning kind of like a faith journey that everybody experiences from start of your faith to the end. And it's really cool because everybody at some point will uh, experience that they have to to give up something or something has to cost them in order to show that they really do care about this. It's like that with anything. So with sports, um, if you really want to be the best, like you're going to have to give up your time. Like it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you, uh, time away from your family, like whatever. And it's cool that once you become a Christian, once you've put away, put a past, put away your past and you continue forward, you are greeted with this new thing that you have to put inside your life or the opposite, which is the reality is you have to put your life within this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we tend to think that the Bible is this collection of thoughts that are about us, but the truth is they're all about God and how we insert ourselves into God's story Yes, and not so much about God inserting himself into ours. Yeah, so the the cost for being a Christian um, is more well-rounded than individual things that we try to do in our everyday lives, like hobbies or family members or even sometimes even having kids. Yeah. Um, but being a Christian and the cost that comes with that is more well-rounded than even starting a family. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I, I think, and the, the big thing being, um, it doesn't matter what you're involved in. In order to be involved with that, you have to sacrifice something else. Yes. There is no option. You can't, you, like you said before, you can't be in a sport unless you sacrifice something else. Because if you're going to do it right, and you're going to do it seriously, then you have to put in the time, you have to put in the money, you have to put in the sweat equity to make it worth yep. it. And why should Christianity be any different? Yeah. And I I think that's kind of, for me, that was kind of one of the takeaways I got from the sermon was this idea um, that really we're willing to make sacrifices everywhere else in our life, but when it comes to Christianity, we just want it to be easy. And we just want it to be something that we don't have to do a lot of thinking about. We don't want to have to really put ourselves out there. We just want everything handed to us. And then when we don't get it handed to us, we're upset about it. Yeah. And 
I don't know why it is with Christianity that's what we want, but with everything else we're willing to put in the time and the effort and the work. But when it comes to eternity, which is worth far more than any paycheck we're going to get, we tend to not want to put in the work. Yeah. I think uh, the hardest part about it is the core of Christianity starts off with a free gift. So people just kind of, I guess, assume that after that free gift, there's nothing to be done because you've already received the free gift. So where does that fit in afterwards? And I think that's sometimes on is the church leaders as much as it is on that person individually, because yeah. if it's explained well and taught well and disciple, like discipleship is being happened. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Discipleship is happening. Sorry. Uh, I love when things are being happened. Yeah. When things are being happened, when discipleship is happening, uh, this happens less and less. Yes. So, well, and I'll, I'll just relate it to something going on that's in my life. Um, I have a 2011 GMC Sierra. I love that truck. That truck was a gift from my father-in-law. He gave that to my wife and I as a gift. Something we could not afford. Something that there's by no means could we have the money to buy a truck like the one he gave us. It was an awesome gift. But just because we were given the gift doesn't mean we don't pay for the gas that goes into it. The oil changes that have to happen to it, the yeah. tires that need to go onto that truck, and the constant upkeep. Yeah. Because it was an initial free gift doesn't mean that free gift is just going to be free forever. And understand, I'm not saying that we're saved by works or anything like that. But what I am saying is when you're given a gift like that, you want to take care of that gift. And when we're given the gift of, of Jesus Christ and salvation through him... Shouldn't our response be to do the upkeep yeah. and to do the work so that that relationship with him that we've been given for free is always going to be at its best? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, Dave gave six reasons why young adults leave churches. Reason number one was uh, one of the def- was that churches seem to be overprotective. He said one of the defining characteristics of teens and young adults today is their unprecedented access to ideas, worldviews, and their prodigious consumption of popular culture. As Christians, they express the desire for their faith in Christ to connect to the world they live in. However, much of their experience of Christianity feels stifling, fear-based, and risk-averse. What do you think of about that statement? Yeah, I experienced that a little bit growing up. When I say growing up, I mean whenever I started going to church in high school. Uh, it did seem that a lot of the things that even not just even teens, just people in general, the they went through the fear filter first in everything that they did. I like that. So it was, okay, let's go feed the homeless. Okay, well, what are all the things that can go wrong? Let's talk about that that first before we talk about all the great things that could come out of it. And ma- majority of the time, when you put it through the, f- the fear filter first, it stops there. And luckily, the churches that I've attended after that, like in college and Catalyst, we don't think of that very often. So you might have a better, through the many churches that you've been a part of over the years and the different 
groups of Christians, you might have a better um, stories or experiences than I have. Well, I mean, yes and no. I, I think, again, you made, made the comment earlier about this, about leadership. And when leadership is fearless, the people tend to be more fearless. Yes. And if the leadership is willing to step out and do the difficult things, the people seem to be more willing to step out and do the difficult things. I took a group of kids uh, in a youth ministry up to Montana to do a, a week of, um, of a mission week with uh, an Indian reservation. And during that week, something pretty intense happened. Uh, we were there with one other church from Minnesota, and we'd become really good friends with them. Our kids had hung out with their kids. And during that time, one of their girls was raped. Um, it was behind one of the churches we were working at. We were told, never go behind any of the buildings by yourself. Never do anything by yourself. Always be sure you're with somebody. And this girl followed a child behind a building, and she was raped. Right there during our mission trip. You talk about... Um, a quick way to derail everything God was doing that week. And when it happened and we told our children, our, our teens about it, we had them all call their parents and talk to their parents. And I called one of our elders. I told him what happened. I said, do we need to come back? And his comment to me was awesome. He said, John, our kids could get raped in Cynthiana. Yep. That was the town, you know, of the church. And, and he said, he said, you can't stay in fear all the time. You guys are there to do a job, and you need to finish it. And that's only stuck with me. That's good. It's only stuck with me. And um, I know Dave does ministry in India and Nepal, two places that are very much against Christianity. And the work he does there is phenomenal. But there's a real amount of risk there. He could be imprisoned for what he's doing yeah. if he gets caught. And uh, even more so in Nepal than in India. And so the fact that he goes out there is a huge statement to our church saying that we are going to go to the hard places and we're going to do the hard things even if it risks imprisonment. Yeah. Or worse, physical damage or even death. Yeah, I... I love that here at Catalyst, we, we have that, that understanding that we just go do it and it's worked out for us. We, we, we go in prayer, uh, we go with faithfulness and obedience and God blesses that tremendously. Um, but as you're talking, what the one thing that I've seen the most with this is how the kids really want to do something. And most of the time it's the parents that, convince them not to do it. Yep. And the one that I think of the most is when kids want to do, want to go into ministry. So they want to not take the scholarship to play a sport. They don't want to take the academic scholarship. They want to say, I appreciate that, but I want to go to Bible college and I want to learn how to be a minister or I want to learn how to work in the church. And a lot of the times the parents out of fear of some debt or moving away or the unsure of, well, are you going to be able to get a job? What if it doesn't work out for you? Like, you know, all the different things that parents think about when their kid wants to go into ministry. 
And I could 95% of the time, the kid doesn't go because the parents convince them not to. And I think that the church, and we see it in, in just in our town, how many churches are without staff members that want to hire staff members because the lack of ministers are out there. Yeah, and it's never been lower than it is right now. I could agree with that. And since At least since I've been here in the past five years, um, I'd say it's the lowest it's been. Yeah, it just it seems like the the demand for ministers is higher than the supply. Yeah, and there's a reason why churches are dying, and and it's just it's sad because, like you said, they're just people afraid to really pursue something that God has laid on their heart. Yeah, I I wish. I really, I hope and pray whenever I have a kid that I'm not that way with my kid. You know, the chances that my kid wanting to go into ministry or do mission work um, are very high. Right. Very, very high. And I hope that I do not become (laughs) that person (laughs) that I'm talking against right now. Yeah. And it's amazing how much, when we look at the gospel, it's very risky. Christianity as a whole is very risky, and you can't live your life in fear of that risk, and yet that's what a lot of people do. That's the very thing that a lot of people do. Um, He gave another one of the six reasons. He didn't list them all, but he listed one and two. Number two was that teens and 20-somethings' experience of Christianity is shallow, So the second reason that young people depart church as young adults is that something is lacking in their experience of the church. One-third said, church is boring. That was 31%. One-quarter of these young adults said that faith is not relevant to my career or interests. There was 24% of that. Or that the Bible is not taught clearly enough or often enough. Sadly, one-fifth of these young adults who attended a church as a teenager said that God seems missing from my experience of church. How do you feel when you hear that? I can agree with that, but I think those numbers, I don't, I forgot when that book was written. I'm probably over 10 years ago, maybe longer, that book. Um, I would say that that middle one, one quarter of the youth adults say that faith is not relevant to my career interests. I would say that is probably the number one at this, at this point. Yeah. It's, well, why do I, yeah, I accept Jesus, but I'm, why do I have to go deeper? Like, I'm not a minister. I'm not a church leader. I, I sell this or I, or I do that. I'm in IT or like, I just work with computers. Why do I need to have faith? Why do I need to take this seriously? Uh, and I even see it with students. It's like, yes, I enjoy church. I love coming to youth group. I love hanging out with my friends, but I just want to hang out. I just want to chill. Why in the world would I want to work for it when stuff right now is going well? And I think if we were to redo those numbers in today's standards, uh, maybe maybe I can just think of Nicholsville in Lexington. I would say that that middle one would be a lot higher than um, this. my church experience is boring. Because I think there's more money in churches now than there's ever been. Like youth budgets are through the roof at a lot of churches, and they go do fun stuff all the time. Well, I would even say that 
from a ministry standpoint, churches are realizing that they've grossly underpaid and really done ministers wrong for a long time. That a lot of ministers have never been given any form of retirement. Um, they're never given insurance. Uh, and yet they're expected to be on call 24-7. The demands of a ministry job can be quite intense, um, yet they're, they're never really compensated well for it. Um, and I would say that when a minister feels unappreciated, what they do in response to that reflects it. So I, I think that turns into shallow teaching. I believe it, it, it can turn into um, just a lack of energy as a whole. Mm-hmm. So a young person being in a church where there's a minister like that would always be thinking there's no passion, there's no excitement, they don't really believe what they say they're teaching because it seems like they just don't care. Yeah. And in some cases, they're probably right. Yeah, like laziness can set in real easily if you don't feel appreciated. It yeah. absolutely can. It, sometimes it, I would say, for, I really hope I, <laughs> that for ministers it takes longer than most people. Where they're like, well, I don't get paid enough to do that, like, you know, week two. Right. Uh, but I, I do believe it. it five, six, seven years of a minister being in the same church, uh, and he's not being taken care of, or she is not being taken care of, yet yeah, laziness can set in. Well, and there, there are also a lot of churches. And uh, again, it's my, dad, my dad's been a preacher my whole life, or he was before he passed away. Um, I, I think I was, I was telling a friend of mine this morning, I don't know what it's like to go to church and just be a member of a church. I've always either been the preacher's kid or one of the ministers on staff. That's been my entire life. And so I don't understand being a member of a church. I, I, don't, I don't have a comprehension of what that's like, what that feels like, how that works on weekends. Uh, people who talk about sleeping in on Sundays, I don't have any recollection of that. Going for weekend vacations, again, I don't... These are things that are foreign concepts to my brain just because of my upbringing. But I can imagine that a lot of the churches that I've seen growing up because of the political nature that churches can take on, I've seen ministers who have been handcuffed to what they can teach by the leaders of the church to where they get deep, but it it ruffles some feathers, and so they get reprimanded. I've seen ministers who have who have been teaching and have been told you took that too far. And what that means is you made me feel convicted and I don't want to feel convicted. I just want to come to church and feel good. What that translates to for a younger person is you're not convicted. So why should I be convicted? Yep. And I I think that in a lot of cases, um, that lack of depth that these people see, a lot of times it can come from places other than the minister. Yep. It really can. Yeah. I, I do wish, and I, I'm very thankful um, once again for the leadership of our church, uh, for our youth ministry, mm-hmm. that we do really demand a lot out of our people when it comes to these studies for community groups. Like we don't hold back. You know, no. it's like, no. Uh, we really want people to move in one direction or the other. We don't want people just to sit still. Uh, 
whether you're doing the right thing or you're wrong, you're moving one way or the other. That's if right. If you're coming to Catalyst, you're moving. That's right. Yeah, it, I know there have been people that have come to Catalyst and, and realized that the, um, I don't want to say the demand, because I don't think that's a fair word for it, but the uh, expectation is a little higher than what they were ready for. Yeah. And because the expectation was so high, they couldn't handle that expectation. And they were just like, I can't do this. And they go somewhere else. That's okay. And that is fine. There's nothing wrong. And there's, I, I hate to use this phrase, but it's the best way to put, we love them out that door. Yeah. If they're not, if, if they don't want to be part of this, the vision, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing saying we don't love that person or we're, there's no fellowship. It's not every church is for every person. Yeah. I it's agree. It's just not. Um, he kind of goes towards the end of the sermon and, and he talks about a faith that costs us nothing is worth nothing. And um, talks about the fact that God sees things that we can't see. Do you find that to be something that's a comfort or do you find that to be kind of disturbing? I think it's a comfort because I, I do think he works everything out for, for his good. And I think he also wants to bless us. Like it's, that's very clear in the Bible that he wants to, he wants to bless us. Um, especially in this story with Saul and, and Ananias is Saul did not know what God had planned f- for him once he went blind. Right. He had no idea. The only person that knew was Ananias because God told him he is going to make a huge impact uh, in Rome and in the Gentiles. Like, we need to make sure that this guy is a part of the faith. And I think that's really comforting for me as an individual because the one thing I love to say is if you want to follow Jesus or you want to be a part of what Jesus is doing, look for where he's acting. Look where things are going on that are different, that are going towards Christ, and just be a part of it and go with it. Mm-hmm. And I always hope and pray that he is going to protect us through that. Yeah. I would even go for me, I would say I'm one of these people that I am very focused on what I want to do and where I want to go. And sometimes I can be so focused I miss the periphery. I don't see the things around. And I think that's where uh, it's comforting for me to know that God sees things I don't see. Because I get so caught up and busy doing what I think I should be doing that I can make the mistake of letting other things fall to the side. Um, I, I'm an, I, have, <laughs> I have ADHD, and I can lose my attention so fast, it's ridiculous. Um, I'm definitely that guy that you could be talking to me, and then all of a sudden something flashy pops up somewhere, and I'm done. Like, you can't, you could keep talking, I'm not going to hear a word you say. And, and so sometimes I think in my life, I get so focused on what I'm doing that when the distraction comes, I miss things. And I think for me, when, when God steps in and kind of gives me those reminders of, hey, you missed this. Hey, pay attention to this. Hey, you need to see this the way I see it. Um, it's, it's, really, it's really something I need. Uh, I would say that the hardest thing for any of us to do is to think outside of what we know. I don't know if, if you feel that way or not, but I think a lot of people struggle with empathy. I don't think, and I don't think it's a thing of, of they're mean or, or bad. Or it's just God thinks in such a different way than we do. Yep. So to have a mind like Christ means to quit thinking like ourselves. 
And I don't think that's as easy as people think it is. No, I don't think it is. I, I love what Jesus says that are the two greatest, greatest commandments are this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul. And, and then the other one is love your neighbor as yourself. But those three things, like with all your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul, it's not part of your mind. Like that is so hard to think. And because there's stuff that I just want to do. Like there's things in this life that I really enjoy doing. Yep. And not that God doesn't have a part in it, but I don't always think about God in those instances. Well, and if you break those down with all of your heart, he wants your love. With all of your mind, he wants your intellect. Yeah. And with all of your soul, he wants your faith. Yeah. And so there's nothing left. I know. And that I read that scripture today as I was studying, and I'm so thankful that he sees things that I don't see <laughs> because I would miss so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems like he always brings it back in front, and I'm able to kind of refocus uh, that because he really does want to take care of us. He, he doesn't does. want us to just wander off. Like he he desires for us to continue to come back, and he's always pulling us back, and he's always pulling us back. He's like, okay, remember, 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 focus, focus, focus. And I'm so thankful for that because we would be going all over the place. Because if you look at like the Israelites, people who did not have the Holy Spirit within them, though there is God in front of them directing them because he wasn't internalized with them. I mean, they were everywhere. They were a mess. They went every which direction. It's like watching a three-year-old soccer game. Yeah. It's not soccer. It's barely a game. Yeah. It's just a bunch of random kids running around doing whatever. Some of them are actually kicking the ball and others are dancing. Yep. Some are playing with the grass. Others are pushing a kid because they don't like him. Um, And it's just, it's madness. Yep. And honestly, sometimes I've seen the church resemble that. Yeah. Maybe not Catalyst necessarily, but I have seen churches that resemble that where everybody's just running around doing their own thing and they're not focused on that one thing. Yeah. And because they're not focused on that one thing together, everybody's missing something. Oh, yeah. Um, One of the last things that Dave said was that God wants you to experience victory in life. And I'm a firm believer in that. I think God wants us to experience victory. Although it may not be victory the way we see it, He wants us to experience victory. What do you think of when you hear that? I think about prayer. Um how we always pray and ask God for things. I think he answers every prayer. I believe that. Uh, but the problem is, is we don't think he answers prayer when he doesn't answer it the way we want. Yeah. We think God's being silent or we think God's not listening to us or there's a, there's a brick wall between us and God. And it's like, no, he answered the prayer. You just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, because he knows what's best for us. And if he doesn't answer the prayer the way we want it, that means that some he wants us to go in a different direction. And we have to be okay with that. There's yep. story and story after story. This this story with Ananias and uh, Saul was a perfect example. Both Ananias and Saul were derailed by what they were doing in their life to go and do a different mission. Saul went to go kill and put Christians in jail. And Ananias just wanted to live a Christ-filled life and not have to worry about potentially dying. 
and Ananias goes to Saul and his life changed forever because all of a sudden his home becomes a sanctuary for Christians that might be killed. And now he has to live in silence and not silence, but kind of away from everyday life in his town because he has to take care of all these Christians that are being persecuted. And Saul is no longer killing Christians and he loses his friends, his family, his job, and now he's preaching the gospel. Well, and and the interesting thing about that, about that story, and I thought about this a lot leading up to Sunday because I knew what Dave was preaching on and I knew he was going to be talking about Ananias and his relationship with Saul, who eventually became Paul. Um, And I, we rarely ever talk about the risk that Ananias took in meeting with Paul. I'm sorry, at the time, Saul. Saul, yeah. Because Saul was notorious. He wasn't known. He was notorious. And I'm not talking like notorious B.I.G. notorious. I'm talking like notorious Jesse James notorious. You know, like the the kind of thing yeah. that you're going to see uh, – he, he was an outlaw. Yeah. I mean, to the Christians, because he was persecuting, imprisoning, and sometimes stoning Christians. Yep. And and so Ananias, God says, I want you to go talk to Saul. And Ananias is going, right. <laughs> okay, God, whatever. I know you're joking, right? And God's going, I'm not joking. I want you to meet with Saul. I just blinded him on a road. And I'm sending him your direction, and you're going to be the guy that teaches him about me and my son. Could you imagine the fear that Ananias was going through? Yeah, been horrible. We never talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I this is the first time I know of in my in my lifetime where I've heard a minister talk about what Ananias went through in yeah. order to reach out to Saul. Yeah. Ananias put it all on the line. Yep. And like you said, his life was forever changed. And honestly, the gospel as we know it was forever changed. The church was forever changed. The Bible was forever changed because Ananias followed God's leading and went into the hard place and did the hard thing. It's an amazing, amazing thing when you really sit down and think about it. Yeah, God really does. Even though he's, he's sending you to the hard places... Uh, the good that comes out of it, no matter what, outweighs the fear that the fear filter, as I, like, yeah, I like called that. it earlier, uh, that we put everything through. And there's so many different people in Catalyst, or if you're at a different church, that right now are thinking, you know, I'd really like to do this, and then the butt comes, and they decide not to do it. Right. But we would like to encourage you, you know, maybe you should do it. Maybe you should take a leap of faith, ask God if this is what he wants you to do, and follow him, follow him through it. Don't lead him through it. Follow him through it. And I promise you that he will bless you in the end. Absolutely. And I would say that the thing I've learned in my lifetime is that God never asks you to do something you can do on your own power. Yep. Because if he did if he did that, where's the glory gonna go? It's not gonna go to him. Nope. It's gonna go to you. Yeah. And if we really want to experience victory, we need to experience the kind of victory where we need God to be involved in order for it to happen. Yes. 
So, man, it was great talking to you today. It was, yep, it this was, was good. fun. I'll, topics are fun. I think it's kind of interesting that this week you're preaching. Like yes. we're going to have, I, I mean, my brain's probably going to hurt after that sermon because of the intellect that is going to be presented from our stage this coming Sunday. It's going to be different. It's going to be fun. Yeah. It might be a little loud, but it's might okay. Be a little loud. I heard there's the potential for the breaking of um, clay items yes. on the stage. Is this yeah. true? I Yes. So there could be crashing happening from the stage this week. Is yeah, what you're I can't saying. wait. I can't wow. wait. So we got a lot to look forward to. Oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good it's Sunday. Too. It's you Sunday. We got kids on stage. Um, we do songs that we do from youth group on stage. Um, so it's it's going to be good. It's it's a lot of you Sundays are fun. Yeah, they are. They're, they're fun, and they are. and I'm looking forward to it. Well, and if you are a member of Catalyst Christian Church, just a real quick reminder that we do have a Bible study starting in a couple weeks. Uh, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. If you enjoy podcasts like this and, and hearing the sermons, you're going to love this Bible study uh, where we go through these 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 chapters of, of Ephesians and talk about um, what Paul was trying to tell the church of Ephesus back in the early first century. It's going to be a fantastic study. This has been the Catalyst Midweek Podcast. As always, we're so glad that you guys have decided to tune in and listen. Uh, on behalf of myself and the illustrious Robert Harlemert, the greatest youth minister in the history of youth ministry, I want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, this has been the Catalyst Midweek Podcast, where we continue the conversation from this past week's sermon. Have a great week. Bye-bye.